you screw up as a spy, you're done, right? Well, not really. You'll find out when I do a review of Slow Horses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 29, Overall Episode 152 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. This is where we talk about writing, spies, and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. As I indicated in last week's episode, I did go see Oppenheimer. I hesitate to call this a biopic because it was so much more than that. Now, granted, did we really need another movie extolling the genius of a white man? Maybe not. But we did need a movie to show how the bad elements in a government can ruin someone's career for the stupidest of reasons, jealousy. And Oppenheimer himself is problematic. At least in this movie, he does nothing about the fact that Hispanic farmers in Los Alamos were given 24 hours to get off their land, the land they'd worked for decades. Their houses and barns were bulldozed to make way for Oppenheimer's village. He had to have known they were there. He and his brother owned a ranch in the area, and locating the Manhattan Project in Los Alamos was at Oppenheimer's suggestion. Toward the end of the movie, when someone asks him what to do with Los Alamos now that the war was over, he responds almost disdainfully to give it back to the Indians. Oppenheimer was also a notorious womanizer with a love life that the word complicated is insufficient to describe. Though he clearly loved his second wife, he maintained an ongoing affair with a mistress who killed herself after he told her that he didn't love her and he was going to stay with his wife. Thankfully, though, all this angst is secondary to the main story, which is how he brought together some of the brightest minds in the world to beat the Germans to the first atomic bomb, and how badly he was treated afterwards by the politics and politicians of the 1950s. I think I would have liked a bit more backstory on how the relationship between Oppenheimer and Admiral Strauss, the head of the Atomic Energy Commission at the time, went downhill. The movie focuses on a couple of events that Strauss takes more seriously than Oppenheimer does, but it reveals Strauss to be somewhat paranoid about Oppenheimer's relationship with other scientists and what he's saying to them 
about Strauss. Robert Downey Jr. is excellent as Strauss, a venal, ambitious man who wanted the adoration Oppenheimer had after the war, but who didn't have the scientific or intellectual chops for the status he sought. Killen Murphy was Oppenheimer. Oh, the cheekbones. Emily Blunt was perfect as his put-upon wife, who remained fiercely loyal to him and defended him despite his peccadilloes. I recently read an article that speculated that Oppenheimer's public humiliation of having his security clearance stripped from him and the type of questioning of him at his hearing was the beginning of this country's distrust of scientists and science. I think that's a stretch because the actions against him weren't because of his science, but because Strauss set Oppenheimer up to have his loyalty questioned because of friends he had who were communists. Remember, this was the 1950s and McCarthyism and when the government saw communists everywhere. Then when the Soviet Union tested its own nuclear device so soon after World War II, the government's conclusion was that if it wasn't Oppenheimer, it was some of the left-leaning scientists at Los Alamos who gave atomic secrets to the Soviets. Strauss exploited that against Oppenheimer. Now, it's not a spy movie per se, but it definitely shows how intelligence can be manipulated to prove a specific accusation. Even though it's three hours long, it moves quickly, and there are breathtaking moments, like watching the play of emotions on Killen Murphy as Oppenheimer's face as he witnesses for the first time the power he has unleashed in the atomic bomb. I really recommend this movie. As a side note, probably about 20-some years ago, a former assistant director of the FBI and a former head of the KGB, who later went on to help found the Spy Museum in D.C., were conducting tours, spy tours, of various spots around D.C. where espionage things had happened. And uh, they gave a talk beforehand, and they opened it up for questions. And I specifically asked if there was any proof that Oppenheimer was disloyal, that he had sold secrets to the Soviet Union. And the FBI guy was very quick to say, absolutely not. He was innocent of the accusations against him and that it was a travesty that his security clearance was stripped from him. And the former head of the KGB concurred. So I can take some solace that someone I admired as a, as a young woman, as a teenager, really didn't have feet of clay where his loyalty was concerned, maybe a little bit where respecting his wife was. Anyway, it's a good movie. 
go see it. Now let's talk about slow horses. A couple of years ago, someone recommended Mick Heron's novel, Slow Horses, and I bought it. I did like it a lot. It's a story of MI5 rejects who work on non-critical operations at a facility called Slawhouse. It's spelled S-L-O-U-G-H, but pronounced slaw, close to slow. And the regulars at MI5 refer to their former colleagues at Slawhouse as slow horses. So this weekend, I binged the series based on the book Slow Horses on Apple TV. Gary Oldman is the head of Slawhouse, and he's somewhat the anti-smiley that he portrayed in the film Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. No dapper smiley here, but a slovenly broken down old spy who smokes and drinks too much, who claims not to care for his slow horses, but who makes sure that his Joes are taken care of. Both the book and the movie are great behind-the-scenes looks at the British intelligence community in particular, a place where Britain's class system exists to the extreme. The plots are convoluted and complicated, so I love it. And I just finished, a day or so before recording this, watching season two of Slow Horses, and I warn you, don't get attached to some of the characters. Heron has no problem killing off someone you've come to like. So, Oppenheimer and Slow Horses. Watch them both. Oh, and in Slow Horses, you get a very interesting juxtaposition of the super technological, high-tech, sophisticated MI5 conducting operations and Slawhouse, which is old school, shoes on the street, brush drops, black bag jobs, so forth, espionage. It's very interesting because initially you think they're separate and don't come together, but McHaren manages to bring them together very deftly. So again, Oppenheimer, Slow Horses, watch them both. Oppenheimer's in theaters now and Slow Horses, two seasons so far. A third is coming up. You can find on Apple TV. All right, let's move on and close out my promotion this month of my series, A Perfect Hatred, with a brief discussion of the final book in the series, Collateral Damage. Because this is historical fiction and not alternative history, collateral damage deals with a truck bomb delivered to a federal building in America's heartland. I changed the venue from Oklahoma City, where it really happened, to Kansas City, where it didn't. The agency I worked for at the time of the Oklahoma City bombing had an instructional academy outside Oklahoma City on the airport there. 
And as this series was forming in my head, I had the opportunity to interview several people who lived in Oklahoma City at the time of the bombing. Now, though it's the largest city in Oklahoma, I believe, Oklahoma City is more like a small town. Everybody knows everybody. People who worked at the FAA Academy had friends and relatives who worked at the federal building downtown. And so almost everyone at the Academy knew someone who either survived the bombing, who died in the bombing, or were friends with someone who survived or died. So when I got to the part about the bombing in this book, I kept their words with me as I wrote. And their emotions are one of the reasons I decided to fictionalize the bombing and move it to a different city. Almost 30 years later, that act of terror is still a deep wound there. A great deal of what they told me remains in the book, and interviewing them was one of the most harrowing interviews I've ever done. Did they know I was writing a novel? Yes, I told them that up front, explaining that I'd use no names and would not be explicit so that their friend, spouse, family member, etc. would be recognized. I suspect, however, that A Perfect Hatred wasn't a bestseller in Oklahoma, namely because I made the bomber a three-dimensional character rather than a mere monster. Collateral Damage also explores the impact that my character, my Fisher's failure to stop John Carroll, has on her. Indeed, it pushes her to do something she normally would not have done and leaves Alexei wondering if the pieces of Mai's life can be picked up and put back together. I did struggle with the ending to this book, trying several different scenarios, and as a writer, you know when that doesn't work. None of them worked. Then on June 11th, 2001, I had the ending. Timothy McVeigh, the convicted Oklahoma City bomber, was executed in Terre Haute, Indiana. Though his act of terror will affect people for generations, his story, maddening and sad at the same time, ended then. And so did my book. And now it's commercial time. Today, tomorrow, and Saturday are the final three days for you to download for free all four books in A Perfect Hatred, and the related work, Quintet. Five books, free. And why should that interest you? Like I said, five free books. No waiting. You can download all five at once and read them at your leisure. And you get a little history lesson wrapped in an interesting and provocative story. Well, that would grab me right there. And here's a preview of the book I'm going to promote next month. 
the novella titled A Change for the Better. This novella was how I coped with the results of the 2016 election. And so starting on August 1st, A Change for the Better will be 99 cents for the ebook. I'll put the link for the free downloads for A Perfect Hatred in the description of this episode. And you can look forward to having another deal for one of my books next month. And commercial over. Since we're wrapping up A Perfect Hatred with Collateral Damage, let's have a reading from that book, the final book in the series. And let me set it up a bit for you. Maya and Alexei have given their final after-action report to the U.S. government, where, of course, Mai points out some shortcomings in their case against John Carroll, something none of the principals in the White House want to hear. That done, Mai and Alexei go out to dinner in Washington, D.C. A Perfect Hatred, Book 4 Collateral Damage, Chapter 69, The Next Mission To avoid rush hour, Mai and Alexei took a cab to Georgetown's waterfront, managing to snag an outdoor table at a trendy restaurant. They ordered dinner, and Alexei debated how to tell her they'd be leaving on their next mission, soon. Alexei knew he wasn't ready, but he also knew Mai would be. You haven't said much about the after-action report, he said. Not much to say. You gave the mercy plea a good try. She shrugged and ate some of her salmon. I struck a side deal with the Attorney General, a personal, private one. For what? Updates on Carol's incarceration. Oh. You think after some time in jail he might take you up on your original offer? She said nothing and continued to eat. Do I want to know what the deal was? He asked. Uh, Probably not. You've not seen him, have you? Not yet. Don't. Ever. Eventually. I hope you understand why I have to. I don't understand, but when you're ready, let me know. I'll go with you. The wine glass paused on the way to her mouth. I don't care if I ever lay eyes on him again, but if you're subjecting yourself to him, I'm here for you, he said. That was incredibly supportive. Yes, but I sense a dig in there somewhere. We left something out of that after-action report. I can't imagine what. She turned toward him. A couple of fifty caliber military-issue sniper rifle casings and Elijah's real name. Ah, I have plans for the shell casings. Alexei leaned toward her, his lips at her ear. In a few years, when the people who hid the truth think no one remembers or cares, we'll see they come to light. How? 
though a couple should have some secrets, intensifies the sex. As long as I know, they won't go to waste. As for Elijah Taylor Cox, well, we got nothing from interviewing his family. Grace is still searching the scant clues I gave her about the Patriot City trainees. Unfortunately, this will play out over time. We'll have to exercise that quality you sometimes lack. Patience. Alexei kissed her neck and felt her pulse race. He sat back in his chair and raised his wine glass to her. To justice, he said, and they touched glasses. To us, she replied. Such sentimentality touched him. Per Russian custom, they left the third toast unspoken. What did you meet with Nelson about this morning? Mai asked. We're both back on duty. Well, you're far from ready for another mission. True, which is why I'll be office-bound. After dinner, we go home and pack for the Balkans. Oh, from one scene of failure to another. I've only said this about a hundred times. We didn't fail. The government didn't listen to us. But this will be a quiet mission in a UN safe area, um, Srebrenica. Officially, you'll observe while I serve as Nelson's liaison in Zagreb until I'm ready for some field work. Unofficially, you'll be gathering intel on Serbian troop movements. And the purpose of all this observing and liaising. If the upcoming peace talks go well, you'll be laying the groundwork for sending in a U.S.-led peacekeeping force. President Randolph sending troops to the former Yugoslavia the year before his re-election campaign. Ah, how does an election eve pull-out sound? Cynical, calculating, manipulative. Her voice trailed off and she grew thoughtful. That dissembling bastard. What? They let this happen for political gain. My cynical Russian that I am, even I don't believe the government allowed a federal building to be destroyed with such loss of life for transient political gain. What makes this government any different? Do you want another tutorial on checks and balances? Not really. The government wouldn't do it, but others might. Nelson's mysterious cabal of powerful men. He decided mysterious cabal of powerful men was too long-winded. He now calls them alt-right, but that's classified. She drank more wine. You're probably correct. Probably. Well, I'm the cynic now, remember? He finished the excellent steak for which he'd used the excuse of needing red meat to fortify his blood. Mai had pretended to be disappointed he hadn't ordered oysters. I'm glad this mission is done, he said. I'm not crazy. You're not dead. We're about to go do what we do best. Make a difference. Alexei poured the last of the wine into their glasses and signaled the waiter for the check. Well, one thing about Yugoslavia I don't look forward to, Mai said. Alexei frowned. Plenty of skeletons in that closet. Namely, a baby who died before she could be born. What's that, he asked, fearing her answer. 
The damn smurf blue you in headgear gives me helmet hair. Alexei laughed with genuine joy. She no longer carried any of John Carroll's darkness in her head. This afternoon, at least. All right, that's enough for this week. Again, next month, I'll be promoting the novella, A Change for the Better, which is a post-November 2016 election work. And in a couple of days, I'm headed to Baltimore, Maryland, to catch the New York Yankees, yay, playing the Baltimore Orioles. I hope I can bring the Yankees some luck. They've needed it in the last month or so. Now, I haven't been to a ball game since before the pandemic, and that was to see the Washington Nationals. And I haven't been to Camden Yards, the Orioles' great ballpark, for probably 20 years. And I haven't seen the Yankees play in person since I can't remember. So I'm really looking forward to it and I'm pulling for a Yankee win. No pressure, though. Except, you know, they should know I will have traveled three hours to see the game. But no, no pressure. And of course, among that sellout crowd, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for spies. Maybe some slow horses. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Join us next week for a new episode of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. And please keep the people of Odessa in your thoughts. It looks as if Putin has decided if he can't have this historic and culturally significant city, no one can. Slava Ukraini.